Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 29, 2015. The share ID for Friday, November 27th, is 8229. That's 8229. This morning, A Vision for You presents Steps 1, 2, and 3, Honesty, Hope, and Faith. The purpose of the big book is to change your life through a 12-step process of personal transformation leading to a spiritual awakening. The foundation of our spiritual process is having a personal experience of powerlessness. Powerless. With honesty, we admit that our efforts, energy, resources, knowledge, willpower, and desire have not delivered the hope for results. Lack of power is our dilemma. We have to find a power greater than ourselves. In step two, there is hope, power. A power greater than ourselves will restore us to sanity. We are now ready for a decision. There is no need to procrastinate. With faith, our window of opportunity is open. Joining us this morning to speak on steps one, two, and three, honesty, hope, and faith, is Renata G., a recovered compulsive overeater. Renata is loyal to the 12-step design for living and to carrying this message of recovery. And welcome, Renata. Thank you, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., recovered, compulsive read in New York. Grateful today. Um, I would like to to start the talk with uh, the third step prayer. Uh, God, um, I offer myself to be, to build with me and to do with me as thy wilt. Believe me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. And, uh, you know, I'm going to use the word God because that's what I call my higher power. But, you know, if this word doesn't sound good to you, if you have a problem with the word God, please feel free to substitute it for whatever makes sense to you, whatever is pleasant for you. Um, so, you know, to talk a little bit about my 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 history and, you know, how I got here and, you know, just so you know a little bit about myself. I'm Brazilian. I'm 37 years old. I am 5'6", and I weigh about 135, 136 pounds, and I've been living in the U.S in New York for about 10 years now. I've been a compulsive reader as far as I can remember. I was always overweight and I always binged. You know, uh, I cannot remember a time even as a kid that I did not binge on food. And um, I went on my first diet when I was eight or nine. You know, I remember my mom came home from work one day and I was so proud. I told her, that I had eaten, I had eaten one olive the entire day, you know, 
And uh, of course, that only lasted that that one day. Next day, I was back on my binging. But um, you know, that was the first diet that I recall. And uh, when I was a little bit younger than that, than that, maybe six years old or so, I remember having sleepovers at my cousin's house, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, I guess, with anxiety, and um, I wanted to eat. But, you know, the thought of going downstairs to the kitchen terrified me, you know, that that fear of being caught. And so I remember going into the bathroom and eat, eating tons of toothpaste, you know, and that would calm me down, and I would go back and fall asleep. And so... You know, as far as I can remember, I've always been a composable reader. And, you know, uh, throughout my life, I desperately tried everything I could to manage my weight and the internal unmanageability, you know, the constant feeling of inadequacy that I felt, you know, the fear, my incapability of, you know, live life on life's terms. And, uh, of course, I didn't know that that was my problem. Um but, uh, you know, that I couldn't live life on life's terms and feel okay in my own skin. So, you know, I kept seeking ease and comfort in whatever I could get my hands on. Um, you know, uh, the problem was that with the food, you know, differently than the other substances, the other things, the other behaviors that I used, you know, with the food, I had gone too far already and uh I had crossed that line from being a normal eater into being a compulsive eater and I had no idea. So, you know, like all the things I tried growing up to feel okay in my own skin were, you know, temporary and I experimented with them. I I used them for, for a time and, you know, I, I picked and choose them, you know, and but the thing was that when they started um, creating problems for me, when I could see it was getting out of control, you know, I was able to to stop, you know, to put those substances and behaviors down, you know. So I call them my drug of choice because, you know, I had a choice in, in using them or not. And, you know, a few of them that I can remember now were, you know, cigarettes, alcohol, shopping, men, inappropriate sexual behavior, uh, smoking pot, cocaine, gossiping, TV watching, like daydreaming. I That was one of my favorites. I would just go into la-la land and stay there, you know, all day. But, uh, you know, with the food, that was a different story. Food was always present even when I was using that other stuff I could never keep the food down and uh, you know food was always there controlling me and it was my drug of no choice it had me in its grip and I could not get away from it and um, because you know I've mostly been a binge eater my entire life my disease was really displayed on my body. You know, I when I came to OA four years ago, I was 80 pounds overweight. And, and, you know, that's because there was some, like, dieting and then binging, dieting and binging. Because, you know, if I didn't diet, I would probably be a lot heavier than that. <clears throat> and so 
you know, I kept trying to solve what I thought was a weight problem, right? Since I was overweight, I thought weight was my problem. And so I threw everything I could against this disease. I tried, you know, everything that was suggested to me by my friends, by magazines, by TV, by my mom, or my crazy mind. You know, whatever I could do, I tried. And uh, some of the methods that I try, you know, against my disease were, you know, in numerous diets, like all kinds of diets that you can think of, I think I've tried them. You know, I tried nutritionist plans, doctor's plans. I went to psychologists. I, I took diet pills. I took injections to melt fat. I tried restricting, over-exercising, laxatives, water pills, vomiting. That I could never really do. I did it like just a couple of times. Um, I went to, you know, research, like study groups about, you know, eating behaviors. I tried fasting. I tried Weight Watchers, shakes. I tried uh, drinking orange juice with eggplant and garlic in the morning because that was going to make me stop eating, you know. Um, I tried putting boundaries around my binge foods, uh, you know, starving during the week and then binging just on the weekends. like you know, all kinds of crazy stuff and nothing worked, nothing. And, um, you know, everything would work for a very brief period of time, but there there was always a worse relapse. There was always more misery, more weight gain, more self-hatred and defeat. Excuse me. And, um, you know, even though all that I was, all that was going on, right, I, I still thought I was a normal eater. I was just, you know, I used to think, honestly, I used to think that I was just unfortunate because I I put on weight when I ate, you know, and I thought some people were just lucky that they could eat whatever they want and not gain weight and, you know, they could stay skinny. But then, you know, one day I had this massive binge. Uh, it was during a snowstorm and I... I was locked in the house and we had a pretty bad snowstorm in New York and, you know, I benched all day on food and wine. And I had bought a one pound package of prosciutto, the, you know, that smoked ham, whatever. And uh, that's all I ate all day with whatever you can think of, with bread, with pasta, by itself, with fruit. And, you know, and I drank and that food has so much salt in it that when I went to bed at night, my kidneys hurt so bad that I could not sleep. You know, I've never felt, you know, a pain like that before. And I remember being, you know, in my room, like alone and scared and in the dark and I was begging God to help me. You know, I honestly thought I was going to die. And uh, the only reason I didn't go to the emergency room is because there was so much snow on the ground that I thought, you know, I'm going to kill myself out there, so I might as well die here. But, um, you know, after a few hours of that excruciating thing, I finally passed out. And then when I woke up the next morning, it was the first time that it occurred to me that maybe I had a real problem, you know, that I was powerless over food. I had a relationship with food that was not normal. It was the first time that I could see that. Before that, I could not, you know. And um, 
I finally realized that I needed help, you know, not just another diet. I needed, I needed help beyond a diet. Weight was not my problem. There was something else going on. And, uh, and that's when I decided to come to Overeaters Anonymous. And, you know, of course, I had instant identification. You know, when I came to the rooms, I felt home. I felt welcome. I was, you know, eager to embrace the program or, you know, at least the tools. I was very, but I was very, um, I was very cocky, you know. I, when I heard that we need to work the steps to build a relationship with a higher power, I thought, well, then I don't need to work the steps because I already believe in a higher power. I believe in God. And so that's that. I'm good. And, um, you know, so for two years, um, I worked the OA tools and I pretended to do some kind of work, whatever that was, you know, that was presented to me. I, you know, I did like a question a week or a question every two weeks of, out of the OA workbook or, you know, the, the, the how questions and, um, you know, for, for two years, I really dieted with group support. And, um, you know, OA was uh, the most support I ever had, right, uh, with my disease. And, you know, the fact that I had now this whole fellowship and the tools and my major trigger foods were down and I guess my disease had not progressed too much yet, you know, that kept me you know, going for a while, you know, I started losing the weight, I started feeling pretty good. And, you know, it it seemed like it was working until, you know, until that pink cloud went away, until the high was gone. And then I was, you know, I had no distraction anymore. And then I was face to face with my disease again. And, um, you know, that the, the the mental torture, the hopelessness, the fear, like everything was still there and now like stronger than ever. And so I was in the rooms and, you know, miserable, miserable, realizing that the promises were not true in my life at all. Even though I was losing weight, I was still miserable. I was still a slave of this disease. And, um, you know, the, the, the obsession of the mind was, has, had never been expelled. It was still there getting stronger and stronger and it took me down very quickly. And, you know, looking back today, I know that, you know, it was by the grace of God that, I don't know, somehow I had this intuition. I had this thought of, you know, I need to find a big book sponsor. You know, I had this thought that, okay, what is the common solution in all 12-step programs? And I was like, oh, the big book. And I, you know, I had never like really been in touch with the big book before. And uh, so I decided to find a, a, a big book sponsor. And uh, I did find a sponsor in my local meeting. And she was doing a Vision for You. And she asked me that I listen to Vision for You every single day. And, you know, God bless her. Uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I know, you know, Vision for You is just another OA meeting, but I look at it as, you know, the big book is just another book. But, you know, the two things, like both of them, you know, they saved my life. Uh, There's some kind of power that works in a Vision for You, that works in the big book that, you know, had the power to 
to save my life. And, um, you know, that was exactly two years ago, uh, end of November, beginning of December, I started listening to, to A Vision for You, and I, I remember I was blown away. I could not believe the recovery that I heard on the line, and, you know, the the recovery I heard from other people, you know, gave me hope that maybe there was a real solution to my problem. You know, maybe freedom was possible and uh, that I, you know, just maybe I did not have to live in the misery that I've always lived in. And so, you know, I started, right, listening to Vision every day and reading a big book with my sponsor. And I started, you know, to learn the truth about myself, you know. I started to learn that I am a real compulsive eater. And uh, what does that mean? It means that I have an illness, right? And it's a two-fold illness. Uh, the first part of it is the, the physical allergy, which means that there are certain foods, there are certain substances that when I ingest them, it creates an abnormal reaction in my body and I cannot control Oh, I cannot predict how much of it I'm going to have. You know, that's why, like, every time I ingested my triggered substances, even though I wanted to stop eating, even though I just, you know, had a plan to have only one, I could not stop. Because once that physical reaction is triggered in my body, once that phenomenon of craving is triggered in my body, I have no control over it. I never know when it's going to stop. And, you know, the, the, the greater and, you know, uh, the greater uh, aspect of my disease is the mental obsession. You know, it's this, um, this powerful idea that comes into my mind and crowds out all the other thoughts and, you know, convinces me time after time that it's okay for whatever reason to pick up that first bite, to pick up those same foods that I know create that physical, you know, reaction in me, you know, that it's okay to pick up those foods that are killing me. And time after time, you know, I get convinced by that mental torture and I pick up the food and I can't stop. And, you know, I'm always in that vicious cycle that is described in the doctor's opinion. And so, you know, so I learned that about myself, right? And, uh, that I, you know, that I was, if, if that was the case, if I was a real compulsive eater, that I was beyond human aid. But, you know, I was learning, like, intellectually, right? I was reading, I was listening, you know, all of that. But I was nowhere near really admitting that, you know, that I fit that bill, you know, that I was not taking it to heart. I was just intellectually Oh, yeah, okay, sounds interesting. Now I understand, you know, but uh, so what? What did I do with that? Nothing. And, um, you know, I had to do some more experimentation and, you know, I, I was not completely out of ideas yet. I still wanted to do things my way. And, uh, you know, the big book is full of examples of people like me that really struggle in this disease, that display all the characteristics of a compulsive reader, but still think that somehow they can, they can control this disease, that, you know, they, they can still do it their way. We see, you know, Bill's story that, you know, time after time his hopes are up because 
you know, a period of abstinence, and then, you know, everything falls. You know, he goes into worse relapses. He faces, like, you know, uglier situations because of his disease. We see the man of 30 that died trying to control his drinking. We see Jim that goes into the asylum again. We see, you know, the Jay Walker. And I really like the story of the Jay Walker. It says that, you know, he enjoys himself for a few years, but ignored the warnings of his disease. And, um, you know, that was me. Like, my disease was progressing, and I was getting warnings from it, but I, I ignored it because I kept thinking that, oh, it's not that bad. I'm not that bad. I still can control it. I still can do it this way or, you know. And then, you know, it says that luck then deserts him and he's slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. And so, you know, my disease kept progressing. My binge, my binges get bigger, got bigger and bigger and... You know, I had fewer and fewer days apart. I was more and more miserable, having more and more suicidal thoughts. And, you know, if I was a real, you know, a normal eater, right, I would just stop, like with everything else that I could stop when they were a problem for me. But I could not, you know, I could not, not with the food. And I really like, you know, I'm very... I like to give myself examples for everything so I can relate to things better. And so I'm going to try to give some practical examples of a lot of things. But, uh, you know, here, for example, you know, the the big book on page 20 and 21 talk about the the moderate drinker and the hard drinker and the real compulsive overeater. You know, and then the the way I look at that, like the the reason why I couldn't stop is because, you know, differently than the other substances with the food, I am a real compulsive overeater. And uh, one example for me of being a moderate drinker uh, is shopping. You know, it gives me a thrill. I love to shop. Um, when I'm shopping, I don't feel hungry. I don't feel thirsty. I don't feel tired. I, you know, I really enjoy shopping. But I never got in trouble because of it. Whenever I spend too much money, I just stop, you know, and then I don't shop for a long time and, you know, so I don't get in trouble, right? It's not difficult. I just put it down. I don't have an obsession to go shopping every day or I have to have everything. It's just easy. I put it down. It's not a problem. And then... You know, I was also, you know, a hard drinker when it came to cigarettes and alcohol. You know, I was addicted to cigarettes. I tried quitting a couple of times and went back to it. And But then when I had reasons sufficient enough to make me want to stop, I, I stopped. You know, I started seeing those commercials on TV where people get parts of their bodies amputated because of smoking. And I was terrified I, I I really didn't want to die like that and uh, so I made a decision to put it down and and I did and I never picked it back up again it's been almost eight years and I don't think about cigarettes I don't crave it I don't make excuses to have one here and there it's just gone I don't even think about it same thing with alcohol you know I really believe that I had the allergy of the body with alcohol 
because every time I drank, I drank like an alcoholic. I had to drink the whole bottle. If I was at a bar, I drank until it was face down on the floor. I almost killed myself a couple of times because being so drunk and driving or falling from crazy places. And, you know, I didn't stop. I kept drinking. But then, again, when I had a reason sufficient, big enough to to make me want to stop, I stopped. You know, when alcohol started interfering with my recovering away, you know, when I could see that my life depended on recovering this program and if I continued to drink, I could not do it, then I just put it down. You know, it's been over two years that I put alcohol down. I never looked back. I don't crave it. I don't think about it. I don't wish I could have it. I don't try to have it here or there. It's just, you know, that's that. I don't have an obsession of the mind. And, you know, as my binges got worse and I acquired self-knowledge and I thought, you know, you know, you would think I would be able to stop with the food, right? And, you know, I, I tried harder and harder. I said, now I'm really serious and all of that. But with the food, I could not put it down. I could not live it alone on my own, you know, with the food. Whatever I did with the other things did not work. And, um, you know, uh, the big book talks all the time about how, you know, if I'm a real compulsive reader, right, and I am, I am a real compulsive reader, um, if I have a spiritual malady, I cannot stay stopped on my own. You know, I am beyond human aid. You know, it mentioned things like, you know, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passed into a state where the most powerful desire to stop is of absolutely no avail. Most alcoholics have lost the power in choice in drink. So many want to stop, but they cannot. You know, um, we have an utter inability to live it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And that was me. It did not matter how much I wanted to keep it down, how much I wanted to stop, how much I wanted to get out of that vicious cycle. I could not, not on my own power. And so, you know, what I've learned in this program is that I only have two choices. You know, if I, if I am a real compulsive reader, my choices are, you know, to go on to the bitter end or to accept spiritual help to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis. There is no door number three. There's, you know, these are my options. I either accept that I'm going to die in this disease or I accept spiritual help. And um, so, you know, I had to take a look at my own experience and ask myself, you know, am I a real compulsive reader? And, uh, you know, my answer was yes. And, you know, on page 59, I learned that if I had a capacity to be honest, I could recover from this disease. And so, you know, how did I get honest? What did I do, uh, you know, to, to reach a level of honesty, right, that I needed to recover in order to recover in this program? Um, first thing was, you know, I had to get honest about my food. You know, I had to ask myself a few questions 
and uh, you know, getting honest about the knowledge of the body. You know, for example, I I had to ask myself, can I control the amount of food I eat? Can I safely predict how much I'm going to have of that particular food? You know, for example, um, if you said to me, Renata, I want you to have four ounces of steamed broccoli every day for 30 days, no more, no less. Can you do that? Yes, I can. No doubt. I know I can do that. You know, but then uh, if you ask me, Renata, I want you to have four ounces of, you know, cookie or pizza or cake or Doritos every day for 30 days, no more, no less. Can you do that? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> no way, you know. And so if I can't easily control how much I have of certain food, it's because it's a problem. You know, it creates that phenomenon of craving me and, you know, makes me want more. And so getting honest about my food, about step one, meant that I had to identify what were the common ingredients in my binge food and the foods that I could not safely control, you know, and I had to put them down 100%. You know, those ingredients that I could identify that were common in all my binge foods, they were my alcohol, you know, and in the doctor's opinion, it, it is very clear, you know, uh, you know, they say that the only relief from the physical allergy is entire abstinence. You know, and what that meant to me was that once I identified what my alcohol was, and in my case, it's sugar, any kind of flour, processed fat, and the combination of fat and salt, you know, that meant that all the foods that contained those substances had to go out, out, out of my food plan 100%. That meant that I had to read labels, that I had to ask questions, that, you know, I have to be 100% sure that none of those foods are in my food plan because it would be like an alcoholic trying to drink a little bit of beer or a little bit of wine. It doesn't work. You know, on page XXVIII, paragraph one, you know, it says that these allergic types, which is me, right, never, can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. You know, it doesn't say if it is the fifth ingredient or beyond, it's okay. It doesn't say if it's Christmas, it's okay. It doesn't say if it's organic, it's okay. So, you know, it is not safe at all. Um, I would not eat food if it had a little bit of poison in it. You know, if it was just covered in poison. Or, you know, if poison was the fifth ingredient or beyond, I would not eat it. And so that's how I look at my my trigger ingredients. Same thing. You know, it's poison to me. And, uh, you know, I also needed to refrain from compulsive behaviors and, you know, compulsively eating, like, empty calorie foods and drinks. That was That was huge for me. You know, I used to really abuse salt and soy sauce and sugar-free gum and flavored seltzer, diet, whatever, you know. Whatever was diet and I could get my hands on, I was binging on it pretty much, you know. And uh, another thing that I use to really know if a food is a problem for me or not is, you know, if there is a certain food that I cannot picture my life without, 
you know, just the thought of giving it away makes me want to buy, it's a problem. You know, I can't have any foods in my food plan that really take the space of my higher power. You know, there's nothing in my food plan today that I wouldn't be willing to give up. Nothing. I love the foods I eat, but there's nothing I would not be willing to give up if it was a problem. And so, you know, once I put my, my alcohol down 100%, the physical cravings went away. Food did not call to me anymore. But, you know, the, the, the second aspect of my disease was still there, right? The obsession of the mind was still untreated, and I needed to work the 12 steps uh, to, to, to have that removed. And, uh, you know, in order to do all of that, to be willing to do all of that, I had to, you know, ask myself, like, do I have an honest desire to stop eating compulsively, or am I just trying to lose some weight? Because if I'm just trying to lose some weight, there's no way I'm going to go through all of this to put all my trigger foods down, to really embrace the 12 steps. There's no way. But if I'm, you know, really, if I really wanted to uh, stop eating compulsively, and I did, you know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, I, you know, then I was ready to, to take on this program with everything that came with it. You know, uh, I was at the point that, you know, like they described on page 151 and 152, that, you know, food was not working for me anymore. I couldn't picture life with the food or without the food. The four horsemen, you know, terror, bewilderment, despair, loneliness, they were my constant companions. And like, you know, like Bill, I wanted to kill myself, but I couldn't. I didn't, you know, but I was miserable. And um, so I I understood, you know, once and for all that I would never be free from the obsession to compulsively overeat without working the steps exactly as laid out in the big book. You know, um, other methods may work for other people, but for me, they didn't. You know, nothing else worked for me except for for the steps. And, uh, you know, I finally understood that without the spiritual solution, you know, the day and time would come when I would pick up my binge foods again and would be out of control. So I was finally, you know, out of ideas and ready to to grab on the, the lifesaver that it was, it was being offered to me. You know, I could finally um, honestly admit complete defeat, complete surrender. The food convinced me that I was going to die miserable in this disease. And, uh, you know, my last bench showed me very clear colors that, you know, the, the progression of my disease and how powerless I was and that even being a normal, at a normal body weight, I was, you know, the minute I I picked up that first bite, I was put back in that mental prison, uh, you know, of bondage, of feeling useless and all that self-hatred, the isolation, the fear, the depression, you know, it didn't matter that the weight was not there, had nothing to do with the weight. Uh, So now that, you know, that I was convinced, right, that I needed to work the steps, like, what do I do? You know, because the big book keeps talking about how I have no sufficient mental defense against the obsession, right? That no amount of willpower or self-knowledge can conquer it. 
that I have a twist of the mind, that I have a mental blank spot and on and on and on. So, you know, how do I overcome that? And, you know, I could not, you know, I could not, um, I could not win out the, the obsession of the mind. You know, all of that proved to me that I needed help, that that I was powerless. You know, I mean, if, I, if I'm powerless, if I lack power, that means that I needed to find a power greater than myself. You know, I needed the power of the 12 steps to relieve me of my hopelessness. And so, you know, again, looking back, I really think it was the grace of God that, you know, I finally understood something finally clicked in me that I, you know, I knew, I knew in my heart this time that my only hope was to work all the 12 steps absently. And so no matter how uncomfortable I felt, how scared or how overwhelmed, Every time I wanted to eat, I asked God for help and I picked up one of the tools or, you know, the steps. And, uh, you know, I picked up the phone every time my mind began to wander, you know, every time I had any innocent food thought or whatever, I did not entertain that. I didn't try to fight it. I, you know, I didn't try to talk myself out of it because I knew I was powerless. You know, so I immediately picked up the phone and asked a recovered person to for help, you know. And um, what happened was that, you know, the person on the other side of the line could feel that mental blank spot that I had with the truth about my disease and the food and, you know, help me snap out of that trance. Because, you know, before going through the steps, right, that mental blank spot, you know, was there. And so I needed the help of others that there are recovered to fill that mental blank spot with programs and not, you know, just try to fight against my disease. I understood that I was powerless against my disease, that I needed help. And, um, you know, it never failed, never failed. Every time that I asked my heart power for help and took action, you know, towards recovery, and kept making, you know, step work my priority, I did not have to eat, you know, I, and I was able to recover, thank God. And, uh, you know, like I said, I like to use examples because sometimes people call and they, they would say like, oh, I have such a hard time picking up the phone. I know I should make phone calls before picking up, blah, 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 but I don't want to inconvenience anybody. I feel, you know, I'm shy. I'm this and that. And then, you know, one day I was thinking about how, for example, you know, if I was home and, you know, someone broke in and let's say I I run to my bedroom and, uh, you know, I can hear the burglars in the house and they have guns and they're shooting and I know they're looking for me and I'm locked in my bedroom and there's a phone there. And, you know, my life is at risk. Am I going to think, wow, I'm not going to call Suzanne because she might be taking her son to school. Well, I'm not going to call this person because, I don't know, it's kind of awkward when we talk less time. I'm not, or am I going to pick up that freaking phone and start dialing, you know, because my life depends on it, because I need help. And, you know, that's how I had to look at my disease. As a, you know, as an addict, as a compulsive reader, I'm very dramatic. <laughs> and so I had to really bring 
scenarios into my life with this disease that were very dramatic. So I could really understand the seriousness of my condition, you know, so I had no excuses. And, uh, you know, on page uh, 152, the big book says that, you know, because we, I know my thought was like, I'm going to put the food down and then what? You know, what am I going to do? What, you know, I can't live without the food. But, you know, I, I've learned in the big book that, you know, there is a sufficient substitute for the food and is the fellowship of, you know, in our case, Overeaters Anonymous, you know, and that has proven true for me, you know. A few other actions that I took while working the steps were, you know, like I listened to special edition meetings all the time, like constantly, whatever time I had, I filled up my mind with program. You know, I did not give the disease space because, you know, I, I, I could not afford that. So, you know, I listened to special edition meetings. I read the big book. I did my step work. I didn't, I didn't eat out or travel for a few months. Um, I spent at least three hours a day working my steps and, uh, you know, there were many days that I had to call several people. One or two calls would not do it. I had to keep on dialing, you know, until that obsession was temporarily, uh, lifted. And, um, you know, I, I, I was willing, you know, to, to pay the price to recover. It was, it was very uncomfortable. It was very scary, but being the food was worse. And, uh, you know, if I had to, let's say, you know, go through chemotherapy or, you know, hemodialysis to survive, right, I would endure the uncomfortability because I, you know, I want to live. I would do whatever. And that's how I had to look at my disease, that I had to do whatever it takes. And, you know, I had nothing to lose. I came to this place where, you know, the fear of picking up the food had become greater than the fear of keeping the food down and working the steps. And, um, you know, all of that was possible, you know, that that willingness and all of that, you know, it, it only came when I could really take to heart that I was a real compulsive eater, when I was really convinced that on my own I could never beat the game, that I was doomed. And, you know, that's the thought that brought me to step two. You know, uh, if I can honestly admit that I am powerless, right, 100% powerless, that my life is unmanageable, then I have no problem with step two. You know, if I really took a good step one, you know, this disease will make me as open-minded as can be. And, um, Step two for me, it's not about finding God, finding a higher power, defining a higher power. It's just the admission that I need a power, you know, and that power can be whatever makes sense to me. And as long as it's not me and it's not human and wants to help me, right, that wants to restore me to sanity, then that's it. That will work. You know, the principle of step two is hope. And uh, I had hope that, you know, whatever happened to the recovered people that I heard on the line, you know, I had hoped that if I did what they were telling me they did, that it would work for me, that I would be free to. And so, you know, I had to, you know, stop debating, stop resisting, 
you know, trying to work the program my way and really follow the directions from the big book. Um, you know, on page 42, it talks about how to have to throw out the window some lifelong conceptions. And, you know, for me, there were many, you know, I was full of old ideas that I really needed to, to let go. And I feel, you know, like major ones for me that I want to share were, you know, like about my heart power, and you know, about myself that, you know, if I'm not perfect and I don't figure everything out, God won't help me. You know, that God is a punishing God and he's judgmental. The higher power was not powerful enough to get me free from this disease. That I would never be happy, joyous, and free. That the steps would not work for me. That I need to be strong all the time. That I need to be self-sufficient, you know. Um, that I needed the right sponsor to, to get me recovered. That, you know, if I just pray really, really hard, that will solve my problem. So these were some conceptions that I had to really let go of. And, uh, you know, when I became open-minded and I, you know, then I could really give myself to this program. And uh, I know today that, you know, my job, like step two, you know, my job is not to, to find God. You know, again, it's not to define God. It's just to need God, you know, um, my job is to seek God. And the way I seek God is by working the rest of the steps. And, you know, God, whatever that means to me, will disclose itself to me and provide me with the power that I need in order to live well. So, you know, step two for me was really about letting go of my old ideas and prejudices of, you know, everything that had not worked before and just, you know, uh, be willing to believe, you know, have hope that there's a power greater than myself out there that is not human and can restore me to sanity. And then, you know, you may say, well, but I'm not insane, you know. Well, I was, you know, when it came to the food, I was insane. And I love an example that Joe and Charlie give, uh, like we have this, you know, they say like if 50% of our brain doesn't work, we're considered crazy. But to be considered insane, it could be a very, very small part of the brain. And they give this example of a pie cut in 10 slices and then there's one slice missing. And that was me with the food. The defense that I needed not to eat my binge foods, not to go back into the, the, the craziness of the food was missing. And so I needed a power greater than me to, to restore that little part. You know, like when I walk by a store and I see something shiny and beautiful, I just, I just don't go in and steal it, right? Or just go and buy it and don't have money to pay rent and whatever, like, I know that if I do that, there'll be bad consequences of it. So I have sanity to make a decision not to do it. You know, same thing, like I don't put my hand on a hot stove. Why? Because I know it's going to burn me. And so I have sanity not to do it. But with the food, I did not have that sanity. I needed, you know, a power greater than me to restore that piece of my brain that, that was missing. And... uh So, you know, 
step two for me was really like let go of old ideas and prejudices be open mind be willing to believe that there's a power out there not human not me that wants to restore me to sanity that wants to help me because i did not need a power that did not want to help me and then you know step three you know faith uh having faith means that we believe in something that we can't see that we can't prove and that sometimes doesn't even make sense and uh faith faith is the principle of step three which is you know made a decision to turn my will my life over to the care of god as i understood him and so you know god right that power that i just became open-minded to believe in in step two you know do i know for sure that turning my will right my thinking and my life my actions to this new power will work do i have guarantees that you know working the 12 steps is going to work for me does it make any sense that 12 simple steps will accomplish in months you know what years of self-discipline and doctor visits and therapy sessions and endless diets program programs could not no i didn't have those guarantees you know but i I had to move forward anyway. I had hope that what works for others was going to work for me too. I had to take a leap of faith and do the work anyway without knowing the outcome. You know, uh, I proved that I had faith by working the the, the rest of the steps. And, um, you know, throughout the book, it, it, it said all the time that faith alone is not enough. You know, it must be accompanied by action. And so, you know, for example, faith means that I believe what I can't see. I trust a higher power has the outcome. You know, I trust that if I work the steps, I'll be recovered. Even though I can't see the result up front, but I have to do the work trusting that will happen. So, you know, reality, my mind, you know, kept telling me that, you know, nothing worked before, so this was not going to work either. You know, the facts were that everything I've tried failed. And, you know, but I had to have faith that now this new thing that I was about to try, the steps, that was going to work because it worked in others, so it was going to work for me too. And so, you know, by faith, I worked the steps. I believed they worked for me. They would work for me too. And, you know, I based my actions on, on faith and not on the facts. And, you know, um, my reason, you know, kept telling me, like, working the steps is too hard. It doesn't make sense. My sponsor's crazy. She's too rigid. And, you know, but faith kept me moving forward knowing that it didn't matter how hard it got you know i would be free the end result is that i was going to be free and uh if i really had faith in a power greater than myself if i was convinced that my way of living life you know running the show controlling everybody did not work then i had to stop playing god you know i had to stop trying doing things my way and just surrender you know, by working the rest of the steps, this new higher power show me how to live my life, what kind of person I have to be, and, you know, what are my respons- responsibilities and what, or what what's not. And so uh, if I didn't give the 12 steps and my higher power a chance, like, how would I know, you know, that it would work or not? So... 
there's no way of working the steps wrongly, you know, as long as I'm entirely honest and I'm abstinent and open-minded, I cannot fail. You know, failure is really in not trying. And um, when we have faith, we can experience God's power. Then we know, you know, we develop this confidence that every time we have any struggle, any difficulty, something to celebrate, any doubt, whatever it is, you know, big or small, I can go to God with anything, you know, because he has brought me through the fire in the past. And so I have faith that he would do it again for me. And so, you know, by working the 12 steps, I learn how to trust and depend on my higher power, not on my finite self. Um, you know, every amends I had to make on step nine, you know, it was a leap of faith. You know, I had fear, but I did it anyway because I had faith that my higher power had my back, and he did. You know, God has never, ever failed me. And, you know, like even today, you know, I'm terrified of speaking, uh, you know, speaking on the line, speaking in public. And, but I knew this was God's will for me to share my story here today and, you know, the miracles that happened in my life because of this program and my gratitude. And so, you know, I felt the fear. And in spite of the fear, in spite of shaking my boots, here I am, you know, showing up to do God's will because I know he always provides me with everything I need. And so, you know, if you are tired of being a slave of the food, you know, of confusion, depression, fear, anxiety, you know, I beg of you today, give this program a chance. Get honest about your food. Let go of your old ideas. Admit that you are powerless. If, you know, if you are powerless, admit that you need a power greater than yourself. Have hope that this program will restore you to sanity. Have faith that this process will work for you too. Take actions. Work the steps. Keep your eyes on becoming recovered, not on past failures. You know, work the steps as if your life depends on it. You know, take the limits off your higher power. Don't listen to your disease. You too can be free. You know, I've always had faith in the food. Whatever happened to me, I went to the food to solve my problem. Like everything else, you know, it gave me temporary relief and a lot of bad consequences. And I was still, you know, willing. I, I still went to any length to get my binge food. I stole, I binged in bathroom stalls at work, I took diet pills that gave me panic attacks, I had diarrhea at work because of laxatives, and on and on and on. But, you know, um, I was willing to do anything to keep on trying to control this disease on my own. So, you know, when I put that same willingness into keeping the food down and working the steps, everything changes, you know, anything can happen. And... Um, I was giving a new life, you know, that came with a design on how to live it. And uh, today I don't need to worry about anything. I have faith in the steps and in my God. Today I know that I can go, you know, anywhere that I can do anything big or small because, you know, God is within me. God is everywhere. And um, God has my back no matter what happens. And uh, with God, 
you know, with God, I, I can do really anything, even be free from compulsive reading one day at a time. And, um, you know, I want to leave you with uh, two promises from the big book today that are very dear to my heart and true in my life. And um, one of them is on page 100. Uh, it says, when we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you presently live in a wonderful world, sorry, in a new wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So, you know, God's will for us is not that we kill ourselves with food. You know, follow the dictates of your higher power. Work the steps. Take the limits of God. You know, experience a life of joy, freedom, happiness, and usefulness. And uh, page 124 says, showing others who suffer how we were giving help is the very thing which makes life so worthwhile to us. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greater possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. What a miracle. You know, I have a purpose in life today. My higher power is so powerful that he could even use something awful like my disease of compulsory reading for good. You know, today I'm honestly grateful that I'm a real compulsive reader, recovered by the 12 steps of a way and by the grace of my higher power. And, you know, the possibilities are infinitum. God bless you all. Thanks. Thank you, Renata, for this beautiful presentation this morning. Thanks for sharing your personal insights and personal examples and experience, strength, and hope with all of us this morning. Thank you. And Renata's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. Now we're going to transition into questions. If you have a question for Renata, please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself. Katie G. from Boston. Hey, Katie. One moment. Anyone else? Rocky and T. from New York. I didn't catch the name. Roxanne P. from Roxanne New York. P. Okay. Anyone else? Chrissy M. from Chrissy. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's start with those three questions. Katie G., your turn. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Renata. Um, can I be heard? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, perfect. Sorry. This is Katie G. from Boston, Mass Compulsive Overeater and... Renata, you um, so many great examples. The phone call with the burglary, yeah, I totally get it. Um, my uh, the phone and doing turnarounds is a real vital part of my life, and um, love the page one hundred promises. Um, I guess what I'd love to hear you expand on that I really relate to is um, just being an intellectual, and um, you know, I know this book like I've been reading it for years and I've um, been studying it for six years and I just was hoping you could just expand more on um, times in your life or your days when you do find yourself intellectualizing and kind of knowing the solution but then um, that you know added it's it's a long 
voyage from the head to the heart, you know, where you start living it and experiencing it. And I'm just so grateful to be doing it with you here. Uh, and thank you for your service. Thank you for the question, Katie. Um, you know, uh, what I meant by uh, knowing things intellectually but not taking it too hard, like, you know, before going through the steps was really... You know, I was learning, I was reading about entire abstinence, but I was still hanging on to crutches and my food. You know, I I was abstinent, but not, you know, quote-unquote abstinent. I wasn't really 100% clean. And so I read about it, but I didn't put into practice, you know, um, the step work, like, you know, the big book talks about this process being, you know, we're on a life and death errand, but I I still wanted to work the steps as, you know, it was convenient for me at my own pace and, uh, you know, however I wanted to do it. Yes, I was doing it through the big book with my sponsor, but I was not putting enough time into it, enough effort, and... um you know, it, it had to be priority. It, I had to make it priority. And today, you know, sometimes, like, for example, fear is a big thing for me. Um, you know, like sometimes, you know, I know things intellectually. Like I know intellectually that God is big enough, God is powerful, God is this, God is that. But then, you know, what are my actions showing? You know, what, you know, sometimes... I want to do things having guarantees of the outcome. And, you know, if if I could know the outcome, then I would not need to have faith. You know, faith means exactly the opposite, that I need to be invested on something without knowing the outcome. I have to trust that my higher power has the outcome. So, you know, I have to really take it to heart that I am not in control that my job is just to seek God, to seek God's will for me, to do the work and leave the rest up to God. And when I take it to heart, my actions show that. I hope that that helps. Thank you, Katie G, for the question. Roxanne T, please. Roxanne, star one to unmute. Hi, this is Roxanne T. I thought I was unmuted. <laughs> From New then York. You are. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you, ladies, for all your service today. And Renata, thank you for speaking. Uh, one of the things that you said uh, that really helped me the most today was no matter what your past failures are, just look to you know the recovery and um you know just focus on you know my my recovery and uh don't stop but you know i just uh you know i've been in this program for a very 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 long time uh, i came in like in 86 or something like that so it's almost 30 years that i've been you know coming in and out of this program and uh, I sometimes I still get the fear that I'm not going to get it, you know. Um, but uh, but you what you said really helped me. It's like Roxanne, don't look back at the past failures, 
you didn't really do what you're doing now. You didn't, you know, I mean, we get it when we get it. And I just got to, you know, take the, um, you know, the hope that, you know, that my higher power is with me and that I can have, you know, that I have the help. I think one of the things that failed me in the past was that I wouldn't reach out to the fellowship. And what really helped me too was also that phone call with the burglary. You know, I, I, I still kind of, not, you know, even if it's not a food problem, if it's just a relationship problem, uh, you know, I don't pick up the phone right away and say, you know what, I'm in a real big resentment right now or whatever it is. And um, did it take you long to adopt that kind of attitude, you know, in your recovery? Hi, Roxanne. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for the question. Um, it, it took me a while to fully admit my powerlessness, to really admit that I was a real compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. Once I could see that, then everything else just, you know, it, it, it just came. Like like I said, when I when I could honestly see that my life depended on working the steps absently, then I knew, you know, no matter what happened, I had to do whatever it would take to to stay absent. And if it took calling 20 people a day, that's what it was going to take, you know. So I really, like, look at my disease as a life and death errand. And whenever I feel like, wow, but today I don't really feel like doing this. Well, do I want to go back into the hell I came from? Do I want to die in this disease? No. So it doesn't matter whatever I need to do. You know, nothing, for me, nothing is worse than going back. You know, nothing. So whenever I put that in perspective, then, you know, whatever I need to do to to keep trudging this road of recovery, you know, it's, it's not that hard. It's not that, you know, like picking up the phone sometimes, yes, was awkward or it was, you know, sometimes I felt silly, like a grown woman crying on the phone that I want to eat. But so what? You know, would I rather do that or die in this disease? So, you know, bringing it to perspective every time, like, it really helped me take whatever action I had to take not to pick up the first bite. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Roxanne, for the question. Chrissy M. Yeah, hi, Chrissy M. Can you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so thank you so much, Renata. That was um really inspirational and I pictured you I saw you had very funky boots when when I saw you at in Virginia Beach and I was picturing you shaking in your funky boots looking very very chic and uh it made me smile I just have to say that there was a a, a moment in your story when you were talking about like that kind of shaky blind um very immature faith and then at the end when you when you were expressing your relationship with your higher power now and how it just it's as plain as the nose on your face the the reality of your higher power going to take is going to take care of you the knowledge that you have that now so can you just talk maybe and you said something that I a line that I wrote down that I love to be faith is to be fully invested in something without knowing um the outcome 
That's to be fully invested, not like kind of like one foot in, one foot out. It's fully invested without knowing the outcome. I think that's huge. And I just wanted to know how you made that leap in your recovery from the blind faith of, I think my sponsor is too strict, uh, but I'm going to do this anyway and hope for the best, to I absolutely know without a doubt when I work this program, it works. Like the, what, what may be a couple of steps in between were for you and how you got from there to there, if, if you could answer that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chrissy. I was laughing you talking about my boots. Uh, yeah, you know, the same way this disease is progressive, I really believe that recovery is progressive and faith is progressive. You know, uh, faith, uh, you know, my faith can grow when I can experience God, you know, when I can experience God's power. So, you know, in the beginning, I had to, you know, I had hope, right, that it would work for me. And like I said, I made this step work. I made this program priority in my life. So I took the action, having faith that, you know, that I would recover, right? With my actions, I showed that I had that faith and it, it proved true. You know, I did recover. Thank God, you know. And uh, like when I, for example, did my nine-step amends, I mean, there is no way I could have made my amends without trusting and relying on a power greater than myself. You know, I am too finite. You know, I'm a selfish, self-centered, scared human being. On my own, I can't do anything, you know, very little. And so... You know, every time that I was, like, terrified of making an amend and I went to, you know, higher power and I took the action and made the amends, like, you know, God carried me through. God has brought me through the fire many, many times. And so, you know, now, like, whenever whenever there's a new situation or a new challenge, whatever, I go into fear. You know, because I'm human, I that's my that's my default. But the thing is, you know, by doing step ten, by talking to others, you know, I can go back to that place of, you know, God has never failed me. God is in control. I can trust. I can have faith that God has worked in my life in the past and it's gonna work again. You know, um, for example, you know, a current situation for me right now, um, I'm thinking about moving to a different country. I feel it very, very strong in my heart that that's God's will for me. And, uh, you know, I started going into a lot of fear with it because I wanted to have guarantees that that was really God's will for me, that, you know, if I take all these actions that I need to take in order for it to happen. Like I wanted to have guarantees that, you know, that, that I was doing the, the right thing, that I would not regret it, that I, you know, it would work out, but I can't have guarantees. All I know is that I really feel that that's God's will for me. And, uh, there are certain things that I need to do, you know, um, there's certain actions that I need to take, but I need to let go of the outcome. And because God has proved to me in the past that it doesn't matter what it is, he brings me through it, I, I trust that 
even if I do all the work I'm doing now towards into moving to that country, if, you know, for some reason I don't go there, it's because God has a better plan for me. Nothing that I'm doing right now is wasted. You know, if I keep on having faith that God is in control and he has a plan for me of victory, then, you know, I can I can relax. I don't need to worry. I, I know I'll be taken care of because that's what happened to me in the past. But I need to give my higher power space to work. I need to, you know, uh, practice a trust and dependence uh, on a higher power. If I try to figure everything on my own, if I worry about everything, then I'm not you know that 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 is not faith that's just me trying to control everything i hope that helps thank you chrissy m who else has a question for renata this morning press star one to unmute jason from pensacola jason anyone else jody e jody okay i can barely hear you, Jody, but I got you on the list. Anyone else? No other Deanne questions? F. Deanne F. Okay. Sue E. Sue E. Yes, Maryland. Okay. Last call for questions. Going once, twice. Kathleen K. in Florida. Okay, you got in there, Kathleen. Thank you. Okay, let's start with Jason. Thanks. Uh, Renata, thank you very much uh, for your presentation today. My question uh, relates to the use of the telephone and like if I am at a place where food is really calling to me and I, it's easy enough to pick up the phone, then if it's clear and I can say, look, I want to go you know, buy the Doritos or, or, or eat whatever it is. But most of the time it doesn't happen for me that way. It's just something just feels wrong and I don't even know what it is and I don't know how to express it to somebody else. I just, I wouldn't even know what to say if I were to call someone. Just like, I don't feel right. I have no idea what's going on. And it's like, can you speak to that a little bit? How to, um, how would you, how did you or how do you handle it when you just don't know what's bothering you? Thanks. Thank you, Jason, for, for the question. Um, I do, you know, exactly that. I tell people exactly how I feel. I don't know what I'm feeling, but I feel really uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, in the past, if I wanted to eat, I would call people and say, I want to eat. I want to binge. Help me. You know, uh, and um, I, I really try to to be honest. And, you know, if I'm feeling confused or fearful or whatever and if I really don't know how I'm feeling I feel you know I feel like I just feel crappy I feel uncomfortable and you know 
I needed to talk to someone because, uh, you know, I know I can't afford those kinds of feelings and uh, I need to get rid of them. One thing that really helps me if I cannot really, you know, put my finger on how I feel or what I'm feeling, I, I write. You know, uh, writing is really, really helpful to me to identify what is bothering me. Um, because, you know, this this process of identifying how I feel is new. You know, I spent my entire life numbing out with the food, so I never had to feel anything. And so sometimes it's still a little bit hard to really know what is getting to me. And I I do talk to people. I do not have a problem picking up the phone and, you know, saying, I feel uncomfortable. Can you talk to me a little bit? And, um, you know, but uh, I, I found out that when I start writing, even like if I don't have a, a theme, if I don't know what I'm going to write about, you know, it doesn't matter. When I put pen to paper, it just comes out. You know, a lot of stuff comes out. And, uh, you know, whatever I do in this program, whatever kind of step work or, you know, writing or calling someone, I always pray before I do. I always ask my higher power to direct me, to help me, you know, get in touch with whatever's bothering me. And then, I don't know, it, it, it really it just comes. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Jason. Jody E., your turn. Good morning. This is Jody E. in California. Thank you so much, Renata, for your beautiful share. You sound so clear. Um, I wanted to ask you about weighing and measuring. Do you weigh and measure your food? And if so, um, do you do that all the time, wherever you go? Do you always take a scale with you, et cetera? And do you feel that that's necessary to maintain your very clean abstinence that you speak about? Thank you, Jody, for the question. Um, I do weigh and measure my food. Uh, I do not weigh and measure my food when I eat out. I think, you know, this is very personal. Um, I really think, you know, I can't afford anything in relation to my food that uh, creates an obsession of the mind for me. So, you know, I know there are people that need to be very, very strict with their food and they need to commit their food even after they're recovered. I don't commit my food for over a year now. But I do weigh and measure because I, you know, one of my problems was uh, volume eating. So it's good for me to have an idea of how much I'm eating and stick to that. Uh, But it doesn't uh, create an obsession for me you know, when I eat out uh, to not weigh and measure my food. You know, I don't eat out all the time. Um, Well, lately I've been eating less even out, but uh, I would say I eat out like once a week. And so, you know, one meal, it's it's not going to change anything for me, you know. And I mean, I, I don't compulsively overeat, so... If I eat a little more or a little less than I usually eat, like weigh measuring at home, that doesn't bother me. I, it doesn't create an obsession of, 
oh my gosh, did I eat enough? Am I going to feel hungry? Did I get enough of this? Did I get enough of that? Or, you know, oh my gosh, did I eat too much? Uh, you know, oh, did I break my abstinence? You know, I don't have any of that back talk in my mind. And so, you know, so I don't weigh a measure when I'm out, but I do weigh a measure at home. Yes. Thank you, Jody E., for the question. Deanne F., your turn. Good morning, and good morning, Renata. Thank you so much for your share. You know, you were such an important person in my um, in my recovery and in my early recovery. And, you know, I, I just would like it, if it's possible, if you could just give us, like, a snapshot of maybe what your daily practice um, of the steps are. I mean, obviously, you know, you're in, I believe you're in 10, 11, and 12. But even, you know, when you were talking about spending, you know, the time doing this, and I know you mentioned something like three hours, um, and I'm assuming that was more in the beginning of your recovery, but um, I think it would just be really helpful to hear, like, what does your morning look like? Um, you know, how do you, you know, show God your, you know, willingness and devotion? Um, and that's my question. Hi, Dean. Good morning. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, yeah, no, the three hours of step work was, when I was actively going through the steps uh, first time around and I had like, you know, 150 resentments and over 60 fears and over 30 sex uh, conduct harms. And so I needed to spend a lot of time doing my step work because it took a while. Uh, Today, you know, yes, I do live in, you know, 10, 11, and 12, which I truly believe that it's just an admission of one, two, and three on daily basis, you know, it's like the advanced level, if you will, you know, because if I truly believe that I'm a compulsive reader and that I'm completely powerless and without the spiritual solution, I'll go back into the food, then, you know, then I need to practice, you know, continue to practice the steps in my, you know, um, in my daily life every single day. There is no day off. And, uh, you know, like every relationship, right, that I want to work, I had to, you know, uh, you know, like if, if, if I have a boyfriend and I never spend time with him, never talk to him, like what kind of relationship is that, right? It's probably not going to work. And I look at spending time with God, going to God the same way. If I want to, you know, if I want that relationship to to keep growing, to, you know, if I want to get closer to my higher power, I need to to spend time with God. I need to go to God throughout the day. Uh, I am very, very disciplined about my step 11. Uh, It doesn't matter what's going on in my life, how early I need to get up. It's my priority. You know, I used to do it on the way to work, in the car, paying attention to other things and driving and blah, blah, blah. And that works for some people I know. 
people with excellent recovery that, you know, do their prayers or whatever in the shower or when they're having breakfast, and that works for them. But for me, I really found that works best if I separated a chunk of time in the morning to start my day with God. And so, you know, I get up very early, usually around 4.30 a.m., because I do my step 11 before going to the gym and stuff like that. So I spend about, I would say, half hour in the morning. And I say a few prayers that I really like. And uh, I say some uh, daily affirmations that are really like promises of God, um, you know, that I that I choose to believe that they're, they're true, you know? So I always, like, I'm always trying to focus on the promises of God and not the, the worries or whatever of the day-to-day life. And um, I do spend uh, some time just quiet, you know, just listening to God. It doesn't have to be long. It's usually, you know, between five to ten minutes. And uh, before, I wasn't doing that part so much. It was very short. I would just ask God, how can I serve thee today? You know, how can I be of service to the men and women who are still sick? And But I would, you know, just go on with my day. And through my step 10 work, God kept showing me that I needed to spend more time with him quiet, you know, just listening. And so I've been doing that more. Throughout the day, also, I've been making it a point to really take a few minutes here and there and just sit and listen. You know, I just say to God, I'm here because I want to get closer to you. I want to know your will for me today. I want to make conscious contact with you, God. And I just sit there. And it's amazing how I get more intuition, more you know, thoughts of someone I can be helpful to or, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And in the evening, too, it doesn't matter how tired I am. I have to do my step 11 before going to bed, you know, the reveal of my day. And usually it's pretty quick because if I do have a step 10 throughout the day, I take care of it immediately, like the big book says. And so, you know, step 11 is just really a review to see if there's anything that I missed throughout the day or if I was too focused on self and, you know, something that I need to address the next day. And, uh, you know, I know I always did whatever it took for my disease or if, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, Disney World or whatever, I'll get up as early as it, it is, you know, required of me to get up early I'll go to bed as late as I need to, right? Because I'm excited and I want to expect. I look at my step 11 the same way. It has to be priority. Nothing can get in the way of it. I, it's my daily, you know, um, channel with God. So I de- and my life depends on it. Thank you very much, DNF, for that question. Sue E., your turn. Sue, star this is one. Subi. This oh. is Subi from Maryland. Can you hear Subi. me now? Yes. Subi, go okay. ahead. 
Renata, thank you so much for your talk this morning. It, it was wonderful. Um, I, I can't remember if I met you at the convention or not. I know I saw you around, but there were so many people, but it, and it was such a wonderful experience for us. Um, what I would be interested in hearing from you is a little more about fear. You talked to me, I talked to all of us this morning about having so much fear. And I know when I first came into program, I was practically paralyzed with fear, not being, you know, what what was going to happen if I put the food down? How would I address all those feelings that come up uh, when I don't have the food to block them? And how you were able to let go of that fear and trust a power that uh, you didn't have at the time. So I think I'm talking about that very, very first step. How did you get the willingness to let go of that fear and trust something that wasn't really a big part of your life at that time? Thanks. Thank you, Subi, for the question. You know, for me, like I said, I had to get to the point where the food was not working anymore. Food was not doing its job anymore. Uh, When I came into the rooms, I was using food and alcohol, and I was still miserable. You know, when my binges started, I was already in my mind miserable, asking myself, what the heck are you doing? Put it down. Stop. Stop. And I could not. You know, so I was living in a hell so, you know, big. I was so miserable that the fear of picking up the food became greater than the fear of not eating. You know, the thought of experiencing what I've experienced on my last binge, you know, the fear of that became greater than the fear of you know, working the steps absently, that maybe, you know, I would fail, that maybe it would not work for me. You know, I I had no choice. I had nothing to lose. I had to get to that place. You know, before that, I was not willing. I was, you know, paralyzed with fear. Like you said, I, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, even after coming to a vision for you and learning about my disease and all of that, I still picked up on my step four because I, I was fearful. I didn't want to go on. But then when I saw what happened to me, you know, I, you know, it, it became paramount that I worked the steps as if my life depended on it. I knew I was going to die. And so, you know, again, like when I put it in perspective that what could be worse, you know, living my life without my binge foods. And of course, that thought was so scary. It sounded so impossible, but I had to try. I had no other choice. I was out of ideas that what was I going to do? Nothing else had worked. So, you know, and... The big book talks about how men of faith have courage, right? I had to find courage in, you know, the people that that were recovered and the staff and, you know, whatever else I could grab my hands on, uh, you know, in this, you know, spiritual program because whatever else I had tried failed me, you know, so I had no other choice. I hope that helps. 
Thank you, Sue B. And our last question this morning comes from Kathleen Kay. Kathleen, star one to unmute, please. I'm sorry about that. I was talking. I didn't realize realize I couldn't be heard. But good morning to Leah and good morning to Renata. And thank you, Renata. You are such a beautiful example to me of fearlessly trusting in God and working the program without compromise. You've always been, you know, such a good example. And um, and your confidence is, uh, you know, has helped me. Thank you. Um, and I felt like every word that you said was, they weren't just words, it was, you know, backed up by your real experience of, of working this program so so well. And I think my question was, was pretty much answered in the question before the last one, but um, I think what scares me um, in being in recovery now is that, uh, you know, I'm scared that I'm going through the motions of the 11th step and that I'm rationalizing that, yeah, I've got this 10th step handled. I've, I've given my, you know, fear, my resentment to God and, and I'm okay. I can move on. I don't need to call someone. So I, my question is how do you keep it so fresh and, and urgent and, like you say, as if your life depended on it? Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen, for the question. Um, so you were asking about, like, when do I know that I need to call someone about a step 10? Or I didn't, I was not very clear on that. Sorry. Yeah, I think that's part of it. How, you know, how do you know that you're not rationalizing and you need to really make a 10-step call? And how do you know, how do you keep it so, God, my life depends on listening to you today and and really you know i think you said it you get up a half hour early and you devote that half hour to god and 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 really um ask for his guidance and not just go through the motions of saying the 11 step prayers well i think you know i i really became convinced you know that my way of living life did not work I am convinced that if I don't work these steps on daily basis, uh, daily basis, I'm gonna be face down in the food in no time. I'm gonna be put back in that prison of, you know, compulsive eating, you know, immediately. And so I think that's one thing that, you know, thank God is so 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 clear to me. I never for a second think that, oh, I got this. You know, I have the power or I'm self-sufficient now or maybe I was making a big deal out of it. I, you know, I don't. And I think one thing that really helps me keep it in the forefront of my mind is, you know, taking people through the steps, you know, having that spiritual experience live and well every day, you know, and taking people from, you know, step one through 12 and, really watching, you know, the the disease and the transformation and uh, seeing what my reality would be like if I don't work this step. Uh, so I'm constantly reminded that I am a real compulsive reader, therefore, you know, 100% powerless 
on my own, you know, power. And, uh, you know, the step 10 thing, um, if something bothers me, if something steals my peace of mind and serenity, I know I need to talk to someone about it. If I have a very small annoyance that, you know, for a second I'm like, ugh, whatever, and it's completely gone, you know, if I ask God to remove it and it's gone and I don't feel any kind of feelings towards it, I completely forget about it, like it's gone, right? It's not there, then it's not there. I, I can't create uh, step 10. But if something instills my peace of mind, even a little bit, if it's something that happened a couple of hours ago and I'm still thinking about it or I'm going back to it or I'm debating in my head or, you know, if I'm being fearful, you know, then I need to talk to someone else. I need to, you know, look at my part or I need to be reminded that, you know, God is in control, that I'm not in control and, you know, come back to the present. That's that's a very common one for me, you know, Renata, <laughs> come back from the future. You know, right here, right now, in the present, everything is okay, you know. Um, so um, that's how I go about my step tens. Uh, but if I, you know, something is disturbing to me, I need to take care of it, you know. And, um, yeah, that's that. Thanks. Thank you, Kathleen Kay, and of course, thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. Once again, Renata, thank you for this beautiful presentation, truly carrying a message of recovery this morning. We thank you for your time and effort. And I'm going to close from page 164 in our big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.